yet. Take your seats! Please, God! Back. Please, can we just cut? Can we just cut? I've had just about enough of this nonsense. Good afternoon. And the Oscar goes to Leonardo DiCaprio. Welcome back to another episode of Losing It Over Leo. This is a very special episode today because uh, once again, we are at the end of one of our one of the periods of Leo's acting career. This is going to be the end of his mid-period. I believe at the beginning we called this the good period. And like, I agree. Everything in this period that we, all the movies we watched for this were good. But I think the next one is going to be just as good. I, I, I looked ahead and saw some of the movies we're watching. I'm excited for the next one too. What do you think, Pierre? Yeah, for sure. I think I'm actually most excited for the last period because I think that's when he truly started picking and choosing his movies based like purely on how good, what can he bring to the role yeah, and, and, and the quality of it. So uh, it'd be cool to see. Cause this, this phase was very much like a good balance of that. Like he had some amazing movies, but there's a couple of movies I think he might've passed on at this stage in his life. Um, like gangs of New York, maybe um, just because like, I think the, the quality of it is surprisingly different compared to what he's, he's been doing now. Um, well, I also think that um, I guess it's not surprising considering we split his life into three, we split, split his acting career into three periods and we're in the second one, but this was a very transitional time for him. Like a lot of the movies in this, I would say the vast majority of the movies that we watch in this feature him sort of, they, they still feature him as like a boy who is becoming a man or growing up or something. He's never really feels like his own person, except in a few, like, in The Aviator, he kind of does. Uh, he does definitely in this movie. But in even in Blood Diamond, like, he still feels like a young man, not like a fully on-his-own dude yet, which he definitely comes across a lot more as going on later, later on. Yeah, he, he matures a lot as an actor. And I think Inception is actually a very good transition point movie for him. Yes, because um, this is definitely the one where he comes across, he actually comes across as a full authority. And I would say that this might be the first one where I can say that. I guess that's, I'm, I'm saying something that ends up being fairly specific, but like he's the boss in this. And he's not the boss because he's like worked his way up from being a kid. He's the boss because he's the dude that, that everyone looks up to because he's the best at it. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. It, it does. He, he's the expert. He's the leader of the group, the most mature, uh, the, and also like the most emotionally like developed, I guess. Yeah. Um, like if we're using Fast and the Furious analogies, he's uh, Vin Diesel. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but um, what's cool about Leo in this movie is I think this is one of the one of the few times where he is he's definitely uh, an actor and in that he's servicing the plot um and i think this was an amazing like the he he really gave himself to christopher nolan in that the only like i i, I don't know how well the movie would have worked if an actor of his caliber wasn't brought in to the lead role to in some ways care like it, it was like he was because it's a very inception's a very exposition heavy movie just because of how insanely tough the the premises to understand mm -hmm. so bringing in leo to make this movie work was like really good because he's a he's an extremely charismatic person yeah um, both as an actor and like as a person in general and he so he is able to convey this the this uh, exposition in a in an interesting way 
just because of him, you know. And unfortunately, I think the exposition makes his performance less interesting in that he he has less is less chance to be able to show his acting abilities off, but it works out in the end um, because like, yeah, it's a very, I guess it was a very unselfish role to take on. Yeah. And also I would say, um, Oh, like he's also extremely good at the, well, I mean, you said this, he's also extremely good at delivering that exposition. And I wanted to just add, I don't think any of any of Christopher Nolan's other leading men that he usually uses or that he's used in other movies I can think of could do the same thing Leo did in this. Like Leo's role couldn't be Christian Bale. It couldn't be Matthew McConaughey. It definitely couldn't be Hugh Jackman. Yeah, I, think- I agree. I, I think like if I, I would like my first thought was Christian Bale, but Christian Bale is a very, um, he's he's kind of like the a, a slightly darker other side because I think they're, I almost want to say they're, they're both equally talented actors in some ways. Yes. Um, but Leo usually takes roles that are more spotlight inducing. And I got to say, I don't know if this makes so much sense because it doesn't technically apply to this movie. But like when you see Leo in a lighthearted role, he gives off a very different style of lightheartedness than Christian Bale does. And it doesn't really come across like this movie is not that lighthearted a movie. But I think that in the in just the difference between, say, Christian Bale in American Psycho and Leonardo DiCaprio in Hell, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, just like looking at the difference between how they take on those lighthearted, those more lighthearted roles kind of illustrates why Leo is able to do this movie the way he is. And Christian Bale, I don't think, would be able to. Yeah, Um that, that, yeah, a very kind of a darker person in general where Leo doesn't seem that way. So when he takes on a darker role, he can still bring a little bit of not necessarily levity, but friendliness to it. So you do want to listen to him. Mm, yeah, I could see that. I think like maybe Hugh Jackman could have done it. Um, I, on the other hand, well, the reason I see with Hugh Jackman, I guess I think that the Jackman, balance out of it, right? Exactly. Hugh Jackman yeah. is almost too extreme because you see Hugh Jack like, Hugh Jackman brings would definitely bring levity to the role where, I mean, he's done a very serious character. Like most of his portrayal, most of the times he's played Wolverine, he's been a very serious character. So he can do that. But I think you just need that. I think the energy that these actors bring to it, Leo is the perfect balance between both of those actors, I would say. Yeah. I guess that's why they paired them in the, or Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman in the prestige. Cause they very are like much are um, acting opposites. Yes. So, yeah, I Leo Leo was a either way he was a he was an extremely good choice, um, and I I think I'm really happy he he took this role because I think he was um, truly able to like also uh, pull off Christopher Nolan's vision because uh, like it's a very very ambitious movie mm-hmm. in terms of it's an extremely high concept movie again like tons of exposition uh, it's a, a completely original movie and a high budgeted in original movie. And at a time like this, that's very rare to see. So it's, it's really, I, I like for like, I'm just amazed at this movie. Like I, in terms of like it's box office and it made an insane amount of money, um, considering like it being an original movie, it, it was kind of coming up the heels of the dark Knight, but yeah. I'm not sure how much clout Nolan had at that time, considering like, you know, like Dark, the Dark Knight is still like a uh, how do I like a a franchise movie, right? So, so like, I, to, oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was gonna, I was say, gonna say, damn it. <laughs> okay. I was just quickly. I, I guess I'd say like the Russo brothers for Avengers, for example. They, I highly doubt they would ever come off of directing an Avengers movie and be able to direct an original movie with this much um, uh, uh, interest. From, from the general audience. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I was just going to add very quickly. Uh, he secured a lot of the film's budget. The, the film's entire advertising budget basically came because he had a reputation from The Dark Knight. Yeah. Well, also his, like, I remember the watching the trailer. I, unfortunately, I didn't, like, watch this movie before, like, uh, the trailers before it came out, and I didn't see this movie in theaters. But the, the trailers are extremely well done. And it was uh, especially just like uh, after after watching the trailer, you it was like uh, it really actually set the trend for trailers 
for the next few years as well. Um, well which is kind of cool because I, I've heard Christopher Nolan, part of his contracts is that he he personally has to has a hand in make in the making of his trailers. Yeah, so, this, uh, this movie's trailer yeah. is where the infamous trailer boom comes from. Like every trailer has to have just a low bass sound in it. Not every trailer, <laughs> but so many trailers do that. Like after this movie, this created trailer stereotypes. It did. Well, yeah, it created a lot of them. I think trailers before this were very um, non-cinematic, if that makes sense. Like they, a lot of them were just kind of detailing the plot. Yeah. Uh, you, you'd have some like fun little fun fun little uh, gags and stuff, but the, this. This truly, I think, brought a cinematic um, and well thought out uh, storytelling behind a trailer, and that he was he was able to make the movie look extremely interesting without really spoiling too much in it, and relying on much um, much more subtle ways of drawing the audience in rather than just kind of drawing them in through like, oh, look, this the plot is this. Doesn't this look cool? I guess. So um, this may be a bold statement, but uh, I believe this is the most influential movie Leonardo DiCaprio has ever been in. Of the ones we've talked about, of the ones we will talk about, of the ones we haven't, we haven't and won't talk about. I think this is the most influential movie he's ever been in. Yeah, I, I'd say so too. It's, it's kind of funny to say, like, to think that, because like, this is definitely like, again, one of his more subtle roles. And I think this movie potentially could have worked without him like he didn't i don't think he like really truly carried this movie on his back like i've seen in some other movies i could Uh, see someone else in the role of leonardo dicaprio i just have no idea who it would be yeah and not that i'd want to see anyone else in this role Um, no i definitely thought that he was i thought he was the best pick maybe he wasn't the only pick yeah and like i guess it might I mean, this was probably an easy pick for him, just considering like how like how critically and like um aud- like how much the audiences loved the Dark Knight. Um, and it was like the Dark Knight at the time was like the perfect fusion between uh create like the like, kind of high end cinema, in my opinion, and also mixing it with like you know a blockbuster feel. Yeah, and um, I mean also the prestige and memento weren't as big of things, obviously, but those are very, very highly loved within the filmmaker community. So like this, so Christopher Nolan has a lot of credibility going into this. If you're Leonardo DiCaprio getting a script from Christopher Nolan. Yeah. So I I guess it might've been an easy pick, but, but still, I I don't think uh, he, he might not have like take, taken, like going into the, cause it's a very different role than he's used to. Like I said he, before, he's, uh, it, it, he, he doesn't really like, there's not much room for him to flex his acting abilities, but then also I don't think he's been in like maybe other than the Titanic. Right. But again, he, he was a big part of making sure that that movie worked. Whereas mm-hmm. this, this was very much Nolan's movie. And uh, I guess, I, I, it's, it is, uh, and he like you know he was playing like an action hero. I guess he kind of did it in Blood Diamond, but mm-hmm. this was like a, a super spy role. Yeah, this is a very different action. It's it's interesting because I mean this is basically a heist movie. Yeah, a heist movie, but with an insanely like high the heist rate. is super weird. Yeah, but it's done very well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so like. I don't know. It was. It was. Uh, I think it's. It works really well, and I'm kind of sad they never worked together again, Nolan and DiCaprio. But like, if I had to choose like a movie for that to happen, it's this. It was a very good fusion of both worlds. So I'm hoping they will again. But also keep in mind that Christopher Nolan's released what three movies since this? Like, it's been ten years, and he's only on his third since. So yeah. So not not much room for that, anyways. And also. Mm-hmm. DiCaprio is very, very picky with his movies nowadays. Yeah. So yeah, I think there was there was a there was like three years recently where he didn't even where he wasn't in any movies. Mm-hmm. It was just relaxing. He got his Oscar, so he was chill. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Anyways, like getting more into like the actors and stuff. Um, like there's a lot of it. It really introduced a lot of really cool actors too. Like Tom Hardy. Like this was his first really big role. Um, he was amazing in this movie. I thought. Hmm. 
even though he had a very like relatively small role. Um, he brought you know, in. A- I, mm, I wouldn't even say he had a small role because this movie. I was thinking about this as I was watching the movie. Um, so I, I guess we haven't explained it. We probably don't need to explain it, but I'm going to boil down the plot really quick. Uh, they're they're dream thieves, essentially. They go into people's dreams and they steal important information. But the point of this movie is that they have to go into Cillian Murphy's mind uh, while he's dreaming and implant an idea that takes. And, the, and the, the point of it is that they want, they have the contract to make Cillian Murphy's character uh, break up his father's empire. Um, I think it's an energy empire. He runs an energy company. So they want to go into his mind and make him give him some idea that will make him want to break up that empire. So that's the point of this. And essentially, and the reason I bring that up now um, is that what this movie boils down to is this is a movie about uh, Tom Hardy and his bodyguard, Tom Hardy trying to help Cillian Murphy reconcile with his dad while his bodyguards, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ken Watanabe, uh, Dilip Rao, um, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Ellen Page, try to keep him alive. <laughs> so yeah. I would say that Tom Hardy, like, that's the weirdest thing about this. I just explained the heist. The heist of this movie isn't to steal, like, gold. It's to, the heist is to get someone to make up with their dad which is a really, it's a really weird fusion of like personal drama and a heist. But also I I find that that basically means Tom Hardy's role. I I found Tom Hardy's role to be extremely, well, obviously extremely important, but it's very major. Like he's one of the few, he's one of the only four characters, I want to say, five characters, um, which sounds like a lot, but there's not that many characters in this who goes into the final uh, level of the dream. That's true, yeah. I would say, okay, maybe, yeah, I, I might have de-exaggerated as, like, his role. But, like, I, I just, I guess in terms of he didn't really have, like, uh, a huge emotional connection to the story. Um, yeah. He didn't really have a character arc. And I, I still, I don't think I would put him in the upper tier of, like, like the main cast of characters, if that makes sense. Like, like I mean, I'd, I'd I... say, like, uh, it was, like, Leo, Ellen Page, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and, like, maybe Ken Watanabe? Yeah, um, I would put him in that order too. And right after Ken Watanabe, I'd put Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy. Yeah, okay, that's fair. So still put yeah, him in top like, five. He was. This was definitely like I can understand why he 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 definitely like. Well, I don't know if he blew up right after this movie, but like this with like the Dark Knight Rises back to back really solidified him as a, a new presence in Hollywood. Yeah, and um, then within three years, he was in Mad Max, which which was also like an amazing. Did he get a Best Actor nomination for that? I don't know if he did, but, like, he should have. <laughs> like, yeah. he, was, he was so good in that movie. So, yeah, like, it was really cool to see him in this, um, especially after seeing him now. Uh, we have Ellen Page, who is, like, I guess she was more... This was, like, actually one of her last big roles. Yeah. This... Her, the very last big role she was in. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting choice, and and I also never really expected to see her in a a Nolan movie, but yeah, she, she was an interesting choice, but really brought it. I really liked her in this role. Yeah, she she was a really good uh, presence. Um, she really helped ground the movie because mm-hmm. she was she was like a a very actually like a very important character in that she was like the audience surrogate, and so um, you know like we had we had to like kind of like her, and then also she she brought in a very like she, she was the main driving force behind the emotional uh, arc for Leonardo DiCaprio, and that she's the one pushing him to uh, get over his demons, the demons of his past, and trying to trying to make him see understand what what he needs to do. So, uh, so yeah, she was really good. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, very charismatic. I, I, I he actually like despite his amount of presence in the movie, like he didn't actually have that much to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he was, he was just more like the guy who knew Cobb before and he was, he was good at his job, but like, he didn't really have much to do with like the, the overall like heist, I guess. So, um, but he, he was, he really brought it and Michael Caine was in this. He, he had a small role, but like, I mean, he's it's he's really important good. to be in a Nolan movie. Yeah, exactly. 
So just a very well, very good cast. Um, good ensemble cast. Oh, Ken Watanabe, also amazing. I just love him in general, and I was really happy to see him in this movie. Yeah, he he, he loved. I loved his vibe. Um, because his I, his character is really well written too, in that he's he's this rich industrialist, right? Um, he's but, the guy that gives them the the instructions. Essentially, he's the guy that hires them. Yeah, he's a he's a hiree, but in this in this case, he actually goes in with them for the heist. I don't know and if that's very might, common in heist movies. I don't but. think it is. But anyway, like, not only does he go in with them, he has like probably the most personal journey of anyone except maybe Leo in this movie. Yeah, uh, which is a really which, interesting choice. It was it was interesting. It was very surprising how much we end up because, like, you know, I I think it's very easy to kind of bring him and he kind of came off as this at first, like this, you know, just like rich douchebag that like has this obscene amount of power. Oh, he is the closest thing this movie has to a bad guy. Yeah. Because we actually don't really know. Or I guess, yeah, he, he is kind of like, at least at the start, he, he's set up as this threat, but uh-huh. he, he goes in with, and he's a very, but he was like, he was very hands-on. Like, um, like he wasn't just this guy that was like scared the whole time. Like I, I, my first thought when I think of a rich industrialist, like I think of like a, a Spielberg movie or maybe a James Cameron movie, like an aliens where they also had like this rich douchebag who, who ends up kind of being like a pussy the whole time and like mm-hmm. just kind of screws everyone over. But, um, but in this, like Ken Watanabe's character, he, he's that he actually like protects Cobb in some ways. Um, he helps him out. Cobb is Leonardo DiCaprio's character. Yeah. Um, he protects him, uh, he he helps he helps him a lot, uh, or he helps the team a lot. He when when he's there, he like when he's in, during the heist, he you know he he has some playful banter with the other characters, and um, he he actually gets shot very early into the heist, which like gives them a time limit. But even after he's been shot, he's still doing everything he can to help, which unfortunately at that point isn't much. But he's still like doing what he can. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, again, I think with a more stereotypical movie, they might have made him drag the team down mm-hmm. and like uh, and like uh, and then like start threatening Cobb like, oh, if you don't do this, like I'm going to I'm going to screw your life over, you know. But yeah. um, like the whole time is he was he was surprisingly humble and he still like tries to reassure them like, you know, I, I will do I will do my end. Just do yours. You know, um, it was mm-hmm. very mature about it. So. I loved I loved him in this movie, and I, I guess I didn't really realize how much I loved him until I started talking about him. But yeah, great role. Uh, there's one more, uh, Cillian Murphy. Oh my god, amazing! I thought he was an amazing actor in this movie. I liked him in general, but I've only really seen him in. Uh, I saw him in Batman Begins. I thought he was really good in that, and then also I guess Dunkirk. Um, but this was one of the first roles I saw him in, and I fell in love. It's such a amazing character arc for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and he really pulled it off because, well, uh, like I said, it's him reconciling with his father, and it's the because the reconciling with his father is essentially the money they're trying to steal from the bank. It feels like that could be phoned in really heavily, but it ends up being a very very emotional arc for him, and he plays it so well. It is, yeah, and also he is he is technically the antagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he doesn't know it. And, and he's never actually portrayed that way. Exactly, yeah. And but I just I loved the way the way he he really came around in the end. And like you kind of for I, I honestly kind of forgot about because like it, the it's so cool that his his reconciliation is really like a subplot of the entire arc, right? But then even though it's supposed to be the main thing. Yeah, but then you also you come back to it um, because like it turns out the main the main the main heist is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio heisting his emotions or something. Well, yeah, like, dealing with the, dealing with the death of his wife who died long before this movie, but like because he still has memories of her, he brings her into every heist and becomes a huge liability. Yeah, which is in in its own way is like an ins- insanely clever way of, of writing this out mm-hmm. um, and, and truly adding like a, an emotional attachment to the heist, which is really rare. Heist, like heist movies are very much 
Like, how cool can we make this heist? Um, yeah, I think, yeah. like, if I'm thinking to other heist movies, I think Ocean's Eleven technically has an emotional attachment for George Clooney, but you never really notice it, and I certainly don't remember for sure. Yeah, and it's it's pretty lazy, too. Like, like it's a good movie, but, like, yeah, it, was, but- it was more like his emotional attachment was, I'm, I've got to, I want to impress my, I want to get back at my my wife's ex or something like that. Like it's yeah, a very, exactly. very petty motivation. Whereas this was like a very, uh, very like uh, mature and like psychological um, emotional attachment. So yeah, like that, that was so cool. But then yeah, also Cillian Murphy's arc also kind of tagged on, is kind of tagged on to the end there, but you're still hit with this amazing feeling this, despite, you know, it not ending up being like the major point in the movie. Um, and it just blew me away that they kind of had both of these arcs back to back really pay off. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he, he really helped with that too. Cause um, he, he, when you, when the way he played it was he was, he was this really rich dude who was kind of a douche, but also like he was out of his depth. He, he really just wanted his, to look, like the attention of his father and uh, he played that really well. So yeah, amazing acting overall. And, and honestly, the crazy thing is the acting is like not even like, the greatest part in the movie so oh, there's so much to this movie yeah well what do you what else what else do you want to talk about um well uh, i see that uh well i mean like i have lots of stuff i want to talk about i think we did write down some points for this and i think you're i, I think that uh oh, you yeah. had the most to say about the first part but um, oh, just yeah. the way that this movie balances the exposition with the plot is pretty interesting we already touched on it a little bit but it is like this movie has a lot of exposition because as you said, it's really high concept. It's a really, it's not an intuitive thing at all. The, the ideas in this movie need a lot of explaining. On the other hand, the way that it's done makes it seem so natural despite being extremely expository. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. Like it, it's actually insane. The amount of exposing exposition there is, um, because not only are they explaining how dreams work and and how they're doing the heist, mm-hmm. but then they're also explaining like the the backstory behind behind Cobb, right? Which, which in itself is like a huge amount to talk about. Um, but I, I like they did it very well in terms of at least for Cobb, like explaining his backstory it was beautiful. I think beautifully interweaved in, into the structure of the plot, and that you're con like you're you're consistently finding out bit by bit uh more about what happened um with him and his wife mm-hmm. and it, it kind of the exposition it, itself kind of leads into the climax of the movie which was really cool so you're never you're never you're, you're kind of always on your toes about what's what's happening with this with this guy and mm-hmm. which makes each each segment of exposition less less um less boring i guess um and in fact and, and but also the way they they talk about it is really interesting well i think i i think the best way to highlight this is or the, the best highlight of this in the movie is just the opening scene uh i have a friend who i talked to who said he didn't really get it after two minutes which makes sense i don't think you can get this movie after two minutes but the opening scene of this movie um they're like knee deep in one of these heists and so they're in a very strange place um, in this man's dream. And they keep flashing between being in the dream and being out of the dream where they're kind of showing off how, this hi- how, how their job runs, like how they do their thing. And it's extremely high tension. Like it's a huge action scene. There's a rebellion. There's like a revolution going on outside. Um, they're showing you all of these elements and none of it really makes sense. But by the time that scene is over and they exp- once they start explaining it, everything they explain, like you can tie it back exactly to everything that happened in the last scene, in the first scene, and it all immediately makes sense. Yeah, it, it, it really weaves that together. And also like, it's so cool that I think in the first sequence when they're, they're they're explaining kind of how they're showing how dreams work and how that works. And then it's, it's actually way more complex than you initially think, right? Mm -hmm. Like the whole dream within a dream thing. And it's, it's 
oh god i i just don't I mean, even know how to say it because it's like well, a revelation show, but also exposition yeah um, they show all the moving parts they show the main care the main players in a dream who are explaining how dreams work while they're in the deepest layer of the dream trying to steal something then outside they have another layer and they're showing like the nitty gritty of how dreams work with one guy like having to wake up someone else and putting the putting the earphones on someone so that he can so that he knows to wake up and you know who's sleeping where and then there's a further level where they where they show that like there's this one guy who's been specifically contracted to build the dream so they have all of the moving parts there and they're showing off all the moving parts like giving them all their own little moment so that by the time they have to explain all this, you know exactly what they're referring to at every point. Yeah, it's it's very well interwoven. And also like these these sequences where you're learning more about dreams are all very interesting to watch. Like mm-hmm. uh like for example, like the biggest parts of I think exposition are when uh Leonardo or Cobb, Leonardo's character Cobb is explaining to Ellen Page uh how 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 dreams work at, in like in Paris, right? I think they're in Paris. And um, I think like so, yeah. there's, there's one scene where we're sitting at a cafe, and he's just kind of explaining how it works. And then you realize that they're in a dream uh, at that cafe, and that's when you're like, like, holy shit! Like they've already done <laughs> they've done it again. You know, it's like mm-hmm. and like that that really helps the scene because then it's not just a scene about him explaining it; they're also at the time experiencing it. Um, and then they kind of break out of the dream. It's this really cool way of like, you know, everything's collapsing around them and exploding. It's a really with, uh, cool visual way of showing how they they kind of fall out of the dream, I guess. And what's even better about that particular scene is um, in movie making. Like when you're making a movie, you're it's not necessarily important. Like you don't need to capture every minute of the characters' lives unless that's the point of the movie. But for example, you can just start that, like, you can have a scene where someone is talking to someone else, and then after that, they, they agree to meet up somewhere, and then they meet up somewhere, and, like, you don't have to show them getting there, right? Which sounds obvious, but, like, that's important to the scene, because when they're sitting at the cafe, he brings up at the end, um, how, do you, how did you get here? Do you remember coming to the cafe to show her that she's in a dream? Because in real life you know, we would remember going to that cafe. In a dream, it might just be a scene. And in a movie, it might be too. And that also kind of, and just that element, like just that little, those subtle touches there, this movie itself ends up coming across very dreamlike because while he's explain when he's, ex- in the way that he explains his exposition, he's also setting up dreams kind of like movies, kind of like The Prestige, this is again a movie about movie making if you want to interpret it that way. And and because of because that's a reading of the movie, it makes the whole movie itself feel like a dream. Yeah, that's what I I like it, it kind of took advantage of that like, you know, in in movies where you can easily just cut to a scene, right? And you don't mm-hmm. the audience doesn't really question where they are naturally because it's just, like that's just how movies work, right? Like you don't yeah. want to you don't naturally see every aspect of it, but then, so they're able to take advantage of that by the audience not expecting to know where, how they got to that cafe until, you know, the revelation comes, like, how did we get to this cafe? And then the audience is like, oh, that's true. We never really saw that. So that in itself is like a really cool way of pulling off that twist. Um, but Yeah, and but now that the audience knows that twist, Anytime they're in a scene and we don't see them get there, we're going to assume they're in a dream, which happens to be true for the rest of the movie, more yeah. or less. And it also like introduces that tension of are are they in a dream? Like when are they in a dream and when aren't they? Which uh, makes you like fight with what is this movie's reality? Which I think is, <laughs> this is actually something that Leonardo DiCaprio would explore in other movies as well. And like I hope that we get to those movies because it's it's super interesting the way that. The way that different uh, move, the, the way that different filmmakers explore the. Wait, sorry, what was it? My bad. I, I was just saying how. Like, saying, like do you, to... sorry. Like other, like other directors that experiment with real or not real. 
Yeah, because um, this is a, it's a it's a concept that gets brought up in multiple Leonardo DiCaprio movies, but it's it's interesting just because Nolan's concept of like the way that Nolan makes you sort of question what is real in the context of the movie and what isn't is um, pretty interesting just by the way oh, okay. that he constructs honestly all of his movies, but in specific this one. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I can go off that. Okay. Yeah, so I I think a good movie that you can compare that like that concept to could be like Shutter Island. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, I personally did not like the way Shutter Island did it, just because. I, well, I guess they they he did it. Uh, Scorsese did that movie in a very abstract way of the dream, mm-hmm. and that like it's it started getting crazier and crazier until you're just like, whoa, what's happening? Where I liked this movie. I think the way it did it was a lot better because it's not so much a psychological thing. It's much more relatable because right. in, in this, the the real world, like there are subtle differences between the real world and the dream. But for the most part, you could be experiencing a dream and not know it. And they, they again, they play with that theme a lot in this movie. Um, well, and I mean, right down to the ending, which is pretty famous, where the movie itself tries to make you question if there is if, if what they're experiencing is real or not which martin scorsese again also kind of does in shutter island but in a very 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 different way yeah i just i i guess it's more relatable much more relatable this way because cobb is as all means all means and intentions he is like a normal person mm-hmm. for the most part he, he like he's a heist he's a heist man for sure but like his emotions and his his mentality are very normal Right. And whereas in Shutter Island, it's he's like a, a psychologically like uh, he's like a mental patient, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very, I guess I, I like the subtlety more because then it makes you question your own your own life and what is real and not real, um, and and that that whole philosophy behind it, which um, I think Inception was like one of the the first to really take hold of that idea because I, I think since then like we've we've seen a lot more. Uh, I guess movies or a lot more media talk about like the idea of a living in a simulation and living in a like is reality good enough and stuff like you have stuff like uh, Ready Player One for example plays with that like what's what's better re- like dreaming or not like reality or or playing in a world where you could be whatever you want which is kind of mm-hmm. like what the dreams are um, yeah I think like movies like or shows like Rick and Morty play with that concept a lot but Inception did it first, or what was one of the first to do it, at least on a large scale. And, and I, I think it's one of the best ones too. For sure, like it, it, it just does it on so many levels. Um, and it, I think it's like very much ahead, was very much ahead of its time mm-hmm. in in that sense, because especially now when we we can we are experiencing stuff with like VR or. Uh, or I guess I guess it pertains to drugs too and stuff like that because the, the the theme of escapism is very heavy in this movie as well, just in terms of why would you want to live in this world if you can be in a world where uh, you can do whatever you want or or also the idea of I I want to um, like if this isn't real is it does like but it feels real what's the difference. And like, mm-hmm. is it, is it, does it really mean anything? So uh, yeah, those themes I think are way more relevant now than they were 10 years ago. So it's really cool how he did that. Um, I guess the other movie I would like to compare this to, we talked about this was Mulholland Drive, where you're also mm-hmm. kind of what's real and what's not real. But again, that was, that was an extremely like non-subtle way, way of doing it, which well, I also I think, don't like as much. I think the main difference between this Shutter Island and Mulholland Drive, like, Mulholland Drive is you're not sure what's real and what's not real because the script is built in such a way that the characters are abstract. And by the end of the movie, um, the way that the script is played out, it really could have played out in any order. Any part of it could have happened or not. Certain characters may or may not even exist. Just the way that it's built is almost like an exercise in kind of frustrating filmmaking but like it makes you the audience question your sanity rather than the characters in the movie in shutter island by the end of it you're you're questioning the char- like 
the reason that it makes you question what's real and what isn't is because you've been seeing everything from one character's perspective. And by the end, uh, there's reason to believe that that character, you know, may have had a skewed perspective. And in this movie, it's it's interesting because the the reason that you don't know at the end what's real and what isn't or throughout the movie is because the way the movie is built, it's literally supposed to be dreams. So at any point in the movie, it's hard to tell. Um, everything in the movie is connected and influences everything else. But at any point in the movie, it's hard to tell is what's happening right now. Whatever's happening right now is happening. But is it happening in a dream or is it happening in real life? And I think that like those three different ways of fighting with reality are very distinct. And that distinction is very important. Yeah, I think that's part of like Nolan's genius is that he's able to take these these more abstract concepts um, like his like like both like Shutter Island, Mulholland Drive, like both directed by very like arts or famous like artsy or more relatively more like artsy directors like high end Scorsese and uh, David Lynch. But mm-hmm. he I think he was he's consistently able to perfectly merge these two worlds together where he's taking this extremely high end concept and artsy concept and grounding it and honestly he makes it cool he makes it he makes it fun to watch yeah um, which i can't really say the same for with shutter island and mulholland drive where you, you you almost feel like a pretentiousness from from it and it's not as I, I like i wouldn't recommend either of those movies to like my parents for example or like a friend right right inception is consistently like uh like it's a fun, it's not only is it like a fun, awesome blockbuster, summer blockbuster, but it's also like an ex, like a very as existential philosophical movie. Um, and I think maybe the reason that, maybe the reason that Nolan is so good at marrying those concepts and making his movies that are extremely high concept interesting to watch is, I really think that if you take just about any Nolan, if you take any high concept Nolan movie, I don't think this necessarily applies to The Dark Knight because that's, good for other reasons or like any of the Batman movies, but like you take Memento, you take uh, Inception, uh, you take the prestige. There is a reading of all of these movies. That's literally just, this is how you make a movie, which is something that Nolan knows how to do really well. And that everyone can kind of relate to because even if not, everyone is making movies, everyone knows subconsciously, at least what a movie is like anyone who's watched a movie can sort of, understand you know a very at a very high level the process of making a movie and that's what all of these movies are about the prestige is about building a three-act structure this inception is about like integrating your concept with you know what you're actually trying to show people and and building that concept in the first place memento is about editing those are like all things that christopher nolan knows really well and I think that's part of the reason that he's able to communicate these high concepts as effectively as he is. Yeah, he's just I, I after like after watching his movies, he's consistently like amazes me. Even though like Inception, I've seen so many times, um, he's really able to do that. But yeah, uh, just <laughs> I don't want to gush over him too much. Um, there there are other there are other amazing parts of this movie. Um, the the cinematography was very very good. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's like the best. Um, personally, I I think the the cinematographer in this is his name's Wally Fister. Fister. Um, he 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 did. I think every Nolan movie, or at least between Batman Begins and uh, The Dark Knight Rises, I think all of them were him. Pretty sure, at least. But he he really shows he really shows some cool skill here. Uh, like the dream sequences were consistently like very amazing to watch um there's some beautiful stuff he does uh with with um i like the big like he he's a he's a good scale director or cinematographer like everything feels bigger than life mm-hmm. um but then also like like the act like the the set like the way he designs the sets and the lighting are really cool i love the 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 first set in the the japanese is it was it a japanese i don't know i might i i think so yeah, it seemed like like it was very Japanese architecture, but the way he plays with the lighting in there is really cool to watch. Um, and then you have you have stuff like 
in France where like things are blowing up around them. The way that shot is really amazing. So uh, yeah, just a very beautiful uh, movie. Did like did any particular shot stick out to you? Um, I mean, I loved all the stuff in the. I loved all the stuff in the in the hallway where they're fighting in basically zero gravity because the they're actually in a truck and the truck is oh, moving. That's yeah. that's more production design, I guess, than necessarily the cinematography. But um, I mean that, and also pretty much every scene where there's a big city because he does really weird, like there's just really weird things that happen with cities in this movie, like a city folding into itself, for example. But just like, I wouldn't say, I, I honestly don't necessarily always know what, I, I can recognize good cinematography. I can't always understand why. So I don't know that I have anything specific to say about the cinematography, but I, I know it was good. And as far as shots that stood out, I mean, for me, most every, almost everything in this movie stood out, but because of the production design. Yeah, it was, it was really good. All the sets were like really like nice to watch. Uh, I think the hallway scene was kind of a mix of both, um, but it's still mm -hmm. amazing that they were able to do that so well. Like, I, I'm sure they had to CG something, especially in the zero gravity shots, but I literally, I could not tell you what was CG and what wasn't. Uh -huh. Things like that. It's so well. The only shot that kind of throws me off, I kind of wish they cut this, was was when uh, the, the city's like folded at an angle and then him, Leo and Ellen Page, like walk from, walk onto a 90 degree angle and it looks a little funky. I really wish that, but... in, so what they do is they stop briefly and then they walk onto it. And I wish that they just had never stopped. It would have looked so weird but it would have been much more effective, I think. Maybe, yeah. It, it, it's either way, it looked, it looked weird. So it might have been better if they timed it, but maybe they tried that and it looked like just terrible, but who maybe. knows? So yeah, it was little things like that. But yeah, very, very cool movie to watch. Um, the only, I guess this kind of ties into that. The only problem I had with it was the fight scenes. I think the cinematography of those were atrocious. Specifically, well, like it was mostly fine except for when they got onto the the snow dream the 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 one of the final layers of the dream uh where they're kind of spoofing or not spoofing but uh paying homage to a James Bond movie oh yeah um and uh it was just like kind of ridiculous how they were i mean i guess it's it, it is very similar to James Bond but like they were just kind of shooting people um left and right and it felt very uncinematic um, the way they shot it, like, uh, but but then also like, like you wouldn't even see. I don't even know if this is a cinematography, but you wouldn't even see like the bullets coming out. Um, you would just kind of like you hear a shooting effect and him pointing the gun, and then people would fall and die. And mm -hmm. it was just kind of ridiculous how they shot those. Very 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 sloppy. Um, and the shaky cam was a little much in those scenes too. So that that was unfortunate, but overall beautiful movie to watch. Uh. Music, um, Hans Zimmer was really brought everything he had to this movie. This is one of Hans Zimmer's better scores, and that's saying something because he, oh. I, I would say that I don't think I can think of a Hans Zimmer score that's bad. No, yeah, I haven't listened to all his scores, but he has scored so many beautiful, uh, beautiful. <laughs> uh, I didn't structure that properly, but he, he is like, he's done so many amazing themes in general, and like Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Lion King was like one of his first really really good ones that I love but him and Nolan just have this amazing chemistry I don't know how how they do it but uh, he's consistently just not even like this has always been amazing scores mm -hmm. like, like, and he really gets a lot of mileage in this one out of essentially the same thing because most of actually a large part of this score is just one piece that he did but slowed down at different speeds Mm -hmm. and, and with different instruments and stuff yeah yeah he i mean you know he doesn't phone it in but he gets a lot of mileage out of like one composition in a lot of these yeah so he did he did really well with that um and i i i guess he like he they use that in the trailer too mm -hmm. um that that the bomb bomb stuff so uh it like not it it really did change like the the uh like a composing of of movie soundtracks for quite a while, uh, but also it was, it was really important. It works because the momentum of the movie 
especially once they start getting into the different layers, largely relies on the editing and the and the music to to link them together, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, like Hans Zimmer was like a very important presence in making this movie work. Yes, and, and uh, that's I think that's why the third act flowed as well as it did, even though there was like four layers i think they were in and they were like consistently cutting through each of them like the momentum i think it was thanks to the the music specifically that that momentum wasn't jarring yeah yeah and what's interesting i mean in the third act you have four you have four layers going at four different speeds because each one of them you know the the topmost layer is a truck falling into the water and that scene of the truck falling into the water takes minimum 20 minutes but like, yeah, and then everything yeah. below it is, you know, there's the fight scene happening in the hallway, which is roughly at regular speed. But then there's stuff happening below that, which is at the very least faster paced. And so, you know, they, they do that layering. They, they make that layering count. Yeah, I want to say each layer, like the music got more intense too. I mean, well, that's like the way the movie was like made, mm-hmm. like the structure of the movie was done as well. So uh, yeah, like Hans Zimmer, amazing job. Probably one of if not his his best scores i I would say so yes so yeah um great job by him um and i i i just i don't know i i guess overall like i i want to say this was probably one of nolan's uh, like like i Nolan's just a hard director because he i want to say this is like maybe his best movie it's hard to say though it might be. I'm not sure. I don't want to commit fully to saying it's his best. I do want to commit fully to saying it's his most influential, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and um, oh, in addition to that, I was just going to point out, this movie won four Academy Awards and was nominated for eight in total. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture, Screenplay, Art Direction, and Original Score. And it won Cinematography, Sound Editing, Sound Mixing, and Visual Effects. I guess my question there is, do you think it deserved all those? And do you think there's any more that it deserved? I uh, I don't know what won that year. I Was it the King's Speech for... I probably. For I, I'm going gonna to check. But, I really um, think this this should have... I mean, this is a very... I, I guess I should be happy it was nominated in the first place. Because again, I, I don't... This doesn't this doesn't feel like a Hollywood's type of movie. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, it was the, the King's Speech that year. Yeah, but... I mean, like, I guess it doesn't matter, in my opinion, because overall, this movie is, like, going to be remembered way more than the King's Speech. For sure. I think so, the ones that won, it definitely deserved, because it got all the technical awards, basically. Well, yeah, I, it got four of the technical awards. I can understand. I'm kind of surprised it, won, or it was nominated for screenplay, That because, again, a lot of the screenplay is kind of exposition and might have been one of the weaker parts. Even though like they did it really well, I thought the screen. I, I was I was of the opinion that the screenplay was kind of saved by the storytelling. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say the screenplay was bad. That was just like it was what it had to be. So um, I have seen. I'm just looking at what was nominated for screenplay that year. Original screenplay. It was the King's Speech. That's the one that won. Another year, which I have not seen. The Fighter, which I have seen. Inception and the Kids Are All Right. Of the ones that I've seen, uh, Inception definitely should have won. Of those, okay, yeah. I, I the the all, King's but... Speech was fine. I don't think the King's Speech is best original screenplay, personally. That's fair, yeah. Um, but yeah, either way, like I personally, I, I'm not. The more I, the more movies I watch, the less I kind of care about the Academy. Yeah, uh, for sure. Just because, like this, this kind of, this is the type of movie that kind of transcends what what a a movie can be. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the Academy always really cares about reflecting a movie like that. So it's not as important, but. Um, I mostly bring it up because it's a good way to sort of lead into rating this movie, especially on those different values. But just in general, what, what, uh, what do we want to give this movie? What do you think? What, sure. do you, Ooh, what do you want to do? I would say, I would say like a 9.5. Um, I think this is like the highest I've scored a movie so far, but it's just such a, amazing movie on so many levels like we 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 talked about the acting alone for like 20 minutes and like we gushed about it mm-hmm. and like that that was like not even that was probably like the least important thing in the movie 
realistically, so, we could have talked about the other elements that we did talk about for the rest of the time individually, probably roughly as long as the acting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like th this is the type of movie you could stop every five minutes and like have a full discussion about and uh, always be amazed. So uh, yeah, 9.5. The only like the only problem I had was the like the fight choreography and the cinematography at the end. I might give it like maybe a 9.7 is better. I don't I don't like to do that. But like I really do feel this movie was as like close to being like the perfect movie as possible. Uh, even even though like I, I'm kind of overlooking stuff like the exposition because it was like necessary, right? And I didn't mind it personally because every time they ex explain that it's such an, a complicated concept that it's interesting to learn about. But then it's also like, despite rewatching it over and over again and understanding it, it's still always fun to watch these exposition scenes. So mm -hmm. it, it just works on so many levels. Um, and uh, yeah, I loved it. And it was Inception is definitely like one of the most important movies of like the past 10 years, if not like the, the most important in my opinion. So yeah. What about you, Jeff? Well, I mean, is it, so don't, don't take this, uh, don't overreact to this, but is it, is it possible to go over a 10? Cause like, I don't want to say this movie is a perfect movie because I don't know that a perfect movie exists as I'm thinking of it. But like this movie is a solid 10 for me. Mm. Like, yeah. Maybe I guess if 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 I'm not allowed to give a ten to anything that's less than a perfect movie, I guess I'd go nine point seven. But like, I was having a lot of trouble putting myself below a ten while I was watching I this that. movie. I yeah. really this is this is one of I I can only there's there's one other movie that I was already expecting to like way more than this movie going into this entire Leo series, and like I don't know if that's gonna happen. We'll see. Yeah, I it is hard for me too because I think I rated the Aviator a nine, mm -hmm. but honestly, like like the Aviator is a really really good movie. It's a great movie, but watching this movie, it just it's like on another level. I want to say like okay, but here's what I will say with the Aviator. So we've also been giving out Leo scales with the Aviator. I believe I gave Leo like the same as the movie, like an eight or a nine. I would yeah. not give Leo a ten out of ten on this. I would put him at like a seven. He's good. He's really good. And I liked a lot what this role did for him as an actor. Not necessarily one of his best performances. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I'd, I'd, I'd give him like a 7.5. He was really you, solid. Yeah. But I wouldn't I mean, say that there was any well, scenes he stole and stuff. Like, I would say he doesn't really... I mean, he doesn't really have to be... Like, what's, what's nice about this movie is he has an ensemble cast all of which are doing just incredible jobs. So like Leo doesn't have to be a 10 out of 10 to carry this movie. Everyone is operating at at least a seven. Yeah. But, but then also like, I, I don't know, I guess he's a good, cause again, cause of the ensemble cast, I think he has to remain relatively grounded as well. Yes. So like, cause so you have like characters or actors like Tom Hardy, who, or I think Ken Watanabe, who actually, I think get a little more flexibility with their role and truly make them shine more because of the like they they don't they are not the emotional weight of this movie and they're not like the core of it so they don't have to they they can be more playful i guess and like mm -hmm. do more interesting things whereas leo i think like had to subdue his charisma um but he had to play nice with the other actors basically exactly yeah because i i don't doubt that he could have like he can outact anybody well actually tom hardy i think is like one of the only actors that i can think of that could give him a run for his money when tom hardy's like really on point and it's um, really interesting that you say that because we're going to get to another movie where it's him and tom hardy giving each other runs for their money yeah exactly that's that's the, that's the movie i thought of when uh i was talking about tom hardy but i would yeah i, I again this was a leo was in service of this movie and um, I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't have it any other way. But there, there, I, I can understand that this this definitely wasn't one of his better performances. Mm -hmm. which well, is, I mean, uh, at least not one of his best performances. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's a good point. I, it's hard to, it's kind of hard to separate him from this because I, I want to say this was like the best movie he's been in, but it's not the best like Leo movie. So, 
So I guess just to end things out, uh, this is the last episode of this period of Leo's life. We're going to start on the late period next time. And so let's just real quick rank these last six movies. What do you think? Sure. Uh, ooh, what, what, what's the list? So we have The Aviator. I'd, so so I'd, I'd definitely say like Inception's on top. Oh, wait, are we ranking this on a Leo scale or a, a I, movie I, I might, scale? I might do both, but I'm starting, like, I'm writing down my list now, and I'm ranking it currently just on a movie scale. Okay. Well, I'd say, like, um, giving the, like, tiers, I'd, I'd definitely put, like, Inception and uh, maybe The Aviator on top, probably one and two. Uh, I think next would probably be the... Mm, Either I think Blood Blood Diamond and The Departed are kind of in the same league for me, and then last last ones are definitely uh, wait no Gangs of New York is last maybe Catch Me If You Can oh man I messed up wait I gotta think about this so Inception uh oh what was the second movie oh there's so many movies dude I can't believe it oh Inception The Aviator and then I think I put Catch Me If You Can. And then the departed, and then, and then our blood diamond and the departed kind of tied, and then gangs of New York like by far last, like not even close <laughs> for me. And I, I think that for me, that's more of a movie scale. I think honestly, kind of a Leo scale too, because even though I'd say he put in a probably a more a better performance in Gangs of New York, I just I liked him in Inception more, anyways. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, th- I think they kind of correlate together. Okay. I would say, I would say for me, my, my movie scale, I definitely put Inception right at the top. Uh, after Inception, I'm actually going to go against expectations, and I'm going to put Blood Diamond and then The Aviator. Very close, Ooh. but I'm putting them in that order. And then like after much deliberation, I'll put Catch Me, as you can- Catch Me If You Can at number four. Gangs of New York at number five, and The Departed is last for me. As Departed a movie, last. wow. Okay. I mean, as a movie, I liked The Departed. Um, I just—it's hard for me to separate it from the original. Yeah, um, I was going to say. Affairs, <laughs> but I also, feel like this might be different if we hadn't watched Infernal Affairs, but. But that's also, very I mean, it might have also just been the situation. Like, I was watching it after three, after two other Martin Scorsese movies. I found it long and boring. Like, it has a lot going on. It is a good movie. But it, there's so much to it. And like, by when, when I say that, I mean much length. There is depth, but I don't find it that deep a movie as much as it is just a long movie. Which Yeah, I could, I could see yeah. that. It, it, it was surprisingly like a relatively simple movie yeah. from, from what I remembered personally. Um, especially after like the more movies I watched, it was pretty straightforward. And uh, it kind of took the the initial concept and especially after watching infernal affairs actually kind of dumbed it down so yeah it's yeah it's definitely hard to look at the 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 departed the same way again but but yeah i I think this was this era though of leo was much superior than the first era for me definitely uh really excited to look for oh do do you do i need to say a leo scale for the for the movies because i have one should i just say that real quick uh for everything no, just for the top six. Or I mean, for oh, the last sure. six. Sure. Yeah, so my Leo scale is I put Blood Diamond, The Aviator, Inception, Catch Me If You Can, The Departed, and then Gangs of New York on the bottom. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, Pretty okay. similar. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm really excited to, for his next uh, era, for the next era of Leo, because, like, um, we've seen him grow a lot, and, like, he's not going backwards. Like, he can no longer play... The next movie we see him in, he won't be playing Gilbert Grape, obviously, but he can't play anything close to that character anymore. So we're seeing this guy evolve and he can't play the roles he used to. And he is like always progressing as an actor. So I'm excited to see, you know, what he does next. Yeah, same. I, this, I, Inception was very much, I think the, the true mature maturation, if that's a word of, of Leo and Mm -hmm. this, this last era that we're going into, because I think Inception was also like, because it was such a big money maker, it, it solidified him as also like uh, a a true like a money an actor that can make money um, yeah. from from a movie and like a because uh, 
there's lots of talk uh, that I've seen online that Leo's like the last true movie star and that he can, he can create audience interest for any movie and make a profit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Inception was like, I think one of the biggest signs of this because uh, again, it was like an original concept that had a huge budget and he was paid a lot for this movie. But I think a lot of people did end up watching this because of Leo as well. Surprisingly. Yeah. I mean, um, he was the big name on the poster. Not that exactly. like, there were a lot of big names on the poster, but he was the biggest. Yeah. So after this, I think we we always we see him being a lot more picky, a lot more careful because he honestly doesn't really need the money as much and he's already proven himself. So I think a lot of directors after this or even studios just wanted him in general and he he's finally able to do whatever he wants with his roles. And I think we get him to see him a lot more experimental. Yeah, and so what's interesting is uh, we're going to put that last big movie star thing right to the test because the next movie is one that I honestly can't imagine being a big success without Leo. I don't remember if it was a big success, but Leo is definitely the draw of this next movie that we're going to watch. For sure. And what movie is that, Jeff? It's Clint Eastwood's J. Edgar. Very cool. I actually, I don't think I've seen a, I've only seen American sniper from clint eastwood and i didn't like it that much but it'll be interesting to watch this because this is one of his first directed movies right Um, i don't know how much he's directed i don't think it's one of his very first because i think he was directing all the way back in the early 90s at least and he probably had directed before that um but it is it's before he became really 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 well known as a director rather than an actor i would say yeah so that'll be an interesting watch yeah, he's directed 30 movies. Oh, over 30 oh. movies. Holy. But like, oh, wow. yeah, I wouldn't okay. say that I, I wouldn't say that I ever thought of Clint Eastwood as a director until, uh, gosh, what's the name of the movie? Uh, Million Dollar Baby. And mm, like, this yeah. was, this was after, this was after Million Dollar Baby and Flags of Our Fathers. So, oh, this was also, it was also composed by Clint Eastwood. We're going to have to talk about Clint Eastwood a lot in the next episode. Yeah. It'll be uh, it'll be fun because uh, yeah, I don't know much about him, so it'd be cool to look into it. But yeah, anyway. all right, we'll see you next time for Jay Edgar. Peace.